Thank you for listening to season two of Spotless, Breaking the Boundaries of Television. Presented by two media powerhouses, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution. So, you know, listen up. Evolution, we came from monkeys, now we're humans. Who knows where we are next? You're going to learn something on this podcast. A 20-year veteran in digital media, technology, and entertainment, Minjay Orms is the former CMO of Visible. In her role at Visible, Minjay led all of the strategic marketing efforts, including brand, creative, communications, social, member engagement, e-commerce and growth marketing, product marketing, research, and more. Before Visible, Minjay led the global partner marketing and media teams at YouTube. Most notably, Minjay led the launch of YouTube's first ever top creator campaign globally, solidifying the platform as a top destination and the leader in content and streaming. Minjay has received multiple recognitions for her work and leadership, and above all, strives to lead organizations with a holistic approach to equity, inclusion, and engagement to better support the professional development and advancement of women, LGBTQIA+, and BIPOC professionals. Since recording this spotless episode, Minjay accepted a new role at LinkedIn, where she is now serving as VP of Global Brand and Consumer Marketing. Minjay, thank you so much for joining us on the second season of Spotless. Thank you so much for having me, Rahil. Of course. Um, I, I want to start off with your journey to Visible. You've, you've worked on the agency side and on the tech side with YouTube for a number of mm-hmm. years, and now you're here as the Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at Visible. Can you mm-hmm. talk to us about your path that led you to this point in your career? Yeah. Um, I like to say that I am a marketer by accident. Um, I think many of us are. <laughs> um, I didn't study marketing. I do not have an MBA. Um, and in fact, I went to film school. Um, and oh, wow. so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it was like probably the best, like two years of my life being in my mid twenties, being in New York city and going to school during the day. And I had a job and I had an internship at Tribeca film festival. So it was just living up to the pace of the city, but also being able to experience what would it be like to study something that I really love, which was ultimately storytelling, um, and be able to see that aspect of it realized in commercial aspects, which is what I got to experience at Tribeca. So um, having had that experience, it kind of opened my eyes to wait, like there are jobs that you can do with something about this. So I decided to um, look for, even though I didn't know exactly what I was looking for, um, I decided to look for professional opportunities that would allow me to stay close to the product that is storytelling. So it ended up being, therefore, one, the marketing as a craft and, and a functional expertise of storytelling is how I ended up you know, getting into this field. Um, and the first of the work that I got to do on the agency side was largely with the um, entertainment industry. So lots of clients in Hollywood, um, TV networks and film festivals, authors, and really thinking about how do I help these um, creators and their work connect with their fans, their communities. And so there were two layers of storytelling that I got to work with both in what they created and then how I could help them in telling that story. So, you know, in some ways it's, it's kind of like, I, I didn't design my 
career as much as I, I would like to think that looking backwards, but it's the through line of following kind of my interest in, in the story aspect of it. And then of course, more recent years, it's been catapulted by people who opened doors for me, um, seeing kind of what was different and unusual about my background and interest and still seeing potential behind that instead of dismissing it as like, oh, you don't have, you know, this degree from whatever school or you didn't work at these kinds of companies. And so I, I feel really fortunate that I've had both the combination of the opportunities that allowed me to explore the story aspect of what I love, as well as the people in my life who allowed me to do the kinds of things that I didn't think that would be possible in my life. Yeah, they don't, they don't really teach you the importance of your network in business school or marketing school or even film school, do they? It's, it's totally. once you're in the industry, you really try totally. to start figuring that out. Yes. Uh, that's, that's amazing to hear. And that's, that's an incredible journey. And, and it's led you to Visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Visible first debuted only a few years ago, I, I would say 2018, yep. and has seen tremendous growth since then. I imagine you know, you faced many challenges launching the first all digital wireless carrier in the US. Can you talk to our listeners about that experience and some of those challenges? Yeah. How much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> that's kind of the fun part of the job, which is how do you turn something potentially as invisible and boring as a utility service product into something that people love? Um, And so the first of the challenges was, of course, really figuring out like, what is the opportunity, right? Because as businesses, we often take the perspective of what are we missing from the internal perspective of identifying growth opportunities, which isn't wrong. But I think that often overlooks what is the total opportunity of how you can ultimately serve consumers now and in the future, and therefore for you to have a shot at having a different or new way to grow your business. So the insight for Visible was that while this is a product and a service that people rely on every single day, maybe too many times a day, (laughs) um, it's something that is often forgotten. And in terms of how people choose to right switch services or how they manage their services or how they experience it um, the construct of the business model was very singular in the telecommunications industry which is to say um, we as an industry train you to go into stores um, the interactions how you buy a phone and you know bring your service over at somebody etc but as you know well in every other industry every other product where the shift of the consumer behavior was going is that people are buying lots of things online. So the hypothesis became, can we actually keep the best parts of what we do well as a wireless service in the business and be able to evolve our business model in such a way that we can offer all of this online only? And so putting the two together and ultimately creating a business model that doesn't have some of the overhead of the existing business model and the infrastructure allowed us to therefore also cater to the behaviors of people seeking, you know, like how can I get the best thing possible with paying 
less money. <laughs> um, so that that was sort of the foundation of really understanding like what is it that consumers want based on what they're explicitly telling us as well as implicitly behaving in the ways in which they interact with you know other things in their world. So when you kind of move into the part about like building this business, the brand, the the teams and the infrastructure, like how we how we went about building our roadmap, there were definitely a lot of no's along the way um, because it's harder, right? Like to imagine a future that doesn't exist right now in terms of how would that grow? How does, does that translate into um, revenue opportunities? Um, if the equation that we've never tried doesn't work, what happens? So there was a lot of the element of risk-taking and unknowns. But I think, you know, what's really interesting about um, the team that we have here at Visible is that every one of us have some level of appetite of like turning a no into a yes. So um, even though it may be right initially kind of defeating to hear like, no, that's not how we do things here, though that's never been done before. Um, it, it ultimately kind of became a little bit of a challenge and a fuel as to how then the team thinks about, well, we're hearing this from our consumers. We have a different perspective as a business but really where we should be going is following the consumer insight and what they're telling us and figuring out where and how we flex the new ways of doing things and where and how we keep the existing way of doing things, which doesn't need to necessarily change in order for us to win these new um, customers. So um, all of that put together really, you know, the, the, the same behaviors around wanting to really start whatever it is that we build and offer out in market from the consumer insights um, and be able to think about, you know, ways in which you would do things differently that makes sense for the business um, have been, I would say, some of the like everyday challenges, but also what makes it exciting about working for a business like Visible. That's great. That's that's an incredible journey. And, and I kind of want to expand on something you said, right? Yeah. You, Visible is in a unique position um, because you mentioned that your storefront, right, is it's really the dot-com and, and the yep. app infrastructure of the digital age. Mm -hmm. um, and you you base that off of a lot of what consumers were telling you, right? The trends and the behaviors yeah. of these consumers. Uh, I'm curious to hear what, did you see anything accelerate or any sort of new trends or behaviors come to the surface last year during the pandemic? And how did that maybe change or or help quantify some of the things that you were doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we take the time machine back to March of 2020, like, right, all of us were like, what is happening? What information do I trust? How should I go about doing my business or living my life? And so we too had that at Visible, um, just as a company, thinking about our employees, our members. Um, but what was really interesting was like, you find out, right, like a lot about yourself as well as the business in crisis moments. Like, how do you show up? What do you do? And how do you make decisions? Mm -hmm. And it was incredible to see the team kind of rally around and first, first and foremost, thinking about Yes, like there are considerations, obviously, for us as people to manage our lives and families. And like, how do we do this in a way that doesn't disrupt anything about how we serve our members? And so the good news was that as we as a company moved from being in the office to all remote situation, there was zero operational um, 
interruption. Yes, there are lots of people who came together to ultimately figure out like, how do we, you know, like get the computers to the right people at home, like all of that logistics, of course. But in terms of like how we ran the business, there was very minimal, you know, disruption, if at all, because the business model that we built and how we operate was so ready for this. Like it, it didn't have any implications as to where we were going to be and where our members were going to be. And then, you know, the there was a period of time, let's say between like mid-March to beginning of April, where you saw just as the world did, like everything kind of like stopped, meaning like traffic coming into our site and the conversion activities and chatters. It was really consumed by kind of people trying to think about like what's going on out there and how do I think about this? And of course that translated loosely to people like buying very certain things like toilet paper, but not necessarily switching their phone services. Mm -hmm. Um, But starting in like mid April, as kind of that initial, you know, wave of lockdowns and information kind of settled, we actually saw that our traffic went right back up to the the normal level right before the all of the pandemic related activities started. So that gave us kind of one indication as to, hey, wait a minute, there's still people who do want to check us out and they need us. And we need to understand why that is. And you know, one of the reasons became, and for many folks, unfortunately, they were out of jobs or they were changing situations in their, you know, economic financial status. So um, that actually became therefore a driver for us to look for, listen for, watch for what, again, they were telling us, right, like implicitly in the traffic data. And then for us to figure out, well, we've got what they need. So how do we let more people know that we exist? Um, So that's more of the like business and the product insights. There's also the marketing aspect to this, right? So like you said, um, our business is entirely virtual and invisible in the physical world. So one of the, the other challenges that I actually didn't even talk about earlier is from a marketing standpoint, we are in an incredibly highly competitive and highly, you know, outspent, right, category. So how do we, as the newest entrant in in this category, stand out and let people know that we exist and for them to consider as a competitive offer and ultimately switch over? So one of the um, marketing tactics that we had really leaned into pre-pandemic was an experiential um, type of marketing activities. And the reason behind that was we wanted to bring some different touch points that became ultimately a different way to create a funnel in the real world to our storefront, that is the .com, in a way that doesn't automatically exist for us for businesses that already have like brick and mortar environments, right? So that, you know, activation we did like at the very beginning when we first launched our business and we wrapped empty storefronts in our bright blue with a very simple message of 404 store not found, which was kind of a hint at, hey, like we're an online only business. You're not going to find it here, but come here to check us out at visible.com. And that really then kickstarted a lot of the different kinds of partnerships and, um, you know, ways to kind of tap into the kinds of communities and affinity areas areas and passion points that people have and trying to align ourselves next to it as a way to introduce ourselves to new people. So with the pandemic, all of that also went out the door. 
Um, so we had to really think about, well, not only from an operational standpoint, how do you move budgets and people and the plans that we had, I think we were all like, right, like sitting on the edge of our seats as to like, are we actually going to South by this year or not? Um, and, and so through, through those processes over the summer, uh, my team actually then thought about what, what are opportunities that we can see in these changing environments? And that's kind of the thing that I really love about the team is that when, you know, stuff happens, um, they're very uh, quick to kind of think about, well, okay, we need to process it, but there is actually another way to go about this. And so that's kind of been, I would say, the operating mentality and model of how, how we do business. So one of the, you know, greatest example of this was we, based in Denver, um, have a partnership with the Denver Arts Organization. And one of the most iconic concert venues here is called Red Rocks. Um, and it's like outdoors and it's against like really, really amazing like outdoor scenery of, of the Red Rocks landscape here in Colorado. Um, and we were gonna be there throughout the year to kind of, again, introduce ourselves to folks here in Colorado that wasn't going to happen. So we decided to continue that partnership with Denver Arts Organization. And um, like it, it came down to creating a an online experience in the fall because one, there was such hyper like pent up demand around people's desire to experience something together because we've all been cooped up. We've all been isolated. So there was that. And there was also from... Uh, folks who are producing these events as well as artists who wanted to do their thing, right? Like it's their craft, it's their, their who they are and they haven't been able to do that at all. So they also were really craving something like that to be able to get their work and themselves out there. Um, and then lastly, this venue was completely empty and there was nothing going on. So we decided to, in the best possible COVID safe way, uh, you know, way possible, bring people together and literally turn the venue around. So if you look at Red Rocks, like the seats are the ones that are carved out into the rocks and that's where people sit and the stage is at the bottom of that. But the bottom became ultimately the point of uh, the, the perspective from which people from home are watching this concert. And then all of the artists, we built a stage on the seats. And then the artists were performing now against the background of Red Rock so people could see more of that. And then it was a better visual representation. So we had three nights of amazing performances um, from like Megan Thee Stallion. And it, it was just incredible. And we were expecting maybe like a couple million people watch, but over three nights, we had 9 million people watch um, the concerts and share and they could interact with us like their comments and interactions were projected onto the surface of the red rocks and lastly and i, I know you'll appreciate this um you know the fact that there were no advertising events right like media events also going on at the same time whether it's like a big awards or sports events you couldn't literally buy against an event like that as an advertiser and the brand to show up. And so the fact that the team turned something into a completely new kind of experience and created this opportunity where Visible had a 100% share of voice and brought people in and introduced ourselves to 9 million new people and also for people to walk away with this feeling of joy and coming together and that to be associated with us that was an incredible gift and something we learned from this experience of like 
oh man, like the things that we were counting on didn't work out the way we we were hoping to, but actually you turn that into a, a completely different kind of an experience to still drive business impact and be able to give people the kinds of experience that is still talked about and so memorable. So that that I continue to point to as an example of something that you know we've been able to do from a business perspective, but also from a marketing perspective to really rethink the way we do business because of the shifting macro environment. We've spoken a little bit about the marketing efforts that Visible has undertaken. And, and mm-hmm. as a digital brand, you know, there's so many options to reach your consumer. Yeah. Uh, you know, digital, social, you just mentioned uh, some examples of experiential marketing. Uh, and then you've recently dabbled into, you know, television, which has always mm-hmm. been kind of uh, a bohemoth in terms of uh, marketing and, and advertising. How are you kind of defining your objectives and goals between these sort of different um, verticals of advertising and, and particularly what was your goal uh, mm-hmm. in this sort of TV ad blitz that you guys undertook uh, over the last year and a half? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I always kind of reinforce and remind with my team is that let's leave no channel behind, right? Because sometimes the instinct is that, well, you're an online business, you're an all digital business. So therefore, your things must all be online too. And like, yes, most of the time, our interactions with our members and how we create communities and our content, like all most of that exists online. And that's ultimately, right, the destination to which we want to draw people into for us to introduce ourselves and for them to consider us. Uh, but that doesn't mean similar to kind of the examples of out of home or experiential and different touch points that could become an introduction point to the storefront that is visible.com. Um, when I think about these other types of more traditional or non-digital, however, right, like we want to call it, those are all opportunities for us to think about how do you um, continue to increase our reach and the fact that people know about us and ultimately, again, for that to be another channel on the funnel to, to our um, digital storefront. So with the TV buy, really where that started from was um, back to kind of the pandemic, beginning of the pandemic period, during which we realized that, again, recovery, pretty quick recovery of right demand in terms of people still coming to check us out. And this being, meaning the cell phone service being one of the things they're considering switching right now as a way to continue to save money during potentially, you know, hard times during their economic situation due to the pandemic. And so that became an opportunity for us to think about, you know what, this might be actually something we need to learn from and go bigger. Um, and not to mention the fact that a lot of advertisers and brands at the time are pulling, right, like their messages for a variety of reasons. And so from an inventory and investment standpoint, it became much more economical for us to be able to invest in those channels that would otherwise not make sense for us from a marketing investment strategy. So the spring of you know 2020 was when we first started to kind of like dabble into and introduce TV as a channel to see how is this actually helping us, you know, increase our reach and introduce us to more people and therefore make the in-market and afterwards the acquisition more effective? And then having learned from that, we did it one more time this past fall um, with a campaign featuring Dan Levy, who had been a wonderful creative partner with us. In fact, he had a hand in 
actually, you know, like creating some of the scripts and the the angles with which we came through, which is why you see a lot of the personalities of Dan coming through. And then most recently, um, we had also partnered with um, the one and only Kevin Bacon tr- to try to really anchor our creative messaging in our value proposition, which is a new product feature we had rolled out about 18 months ago to provide additional savings to folks, which um, is our version of group plan party pay. So, you know, at the beginning, right, it was more of an approach of a new investment strategy and a new channel strategy to add to our marketing mix to continue to grow our business. And since we've done it a few more times, it's become also a creative territory with which we are um, experimenting with and learning from the different ways in which we are talking about the value proposition of our product to see ultimately what resonates with people. Those campaigns you just mentioned, very memorable, right? Uh, Leveraging Dan Levy and the famous Levy eyebrows uh, in in that spot. And then, of course, Kevin Bacon, uh, who transcends uh, generations and times. I'm curious, can you talk to us about how these ideas kind of came about? What goes into creating campaigns like this? Is that a little bit of your kind of film and storytelling coming out? Is that just having the right partnerships and the right sort of control or, or maybe... Uh, exposure for some of these creative mm-hmm. and, and actors to be a part of that. You know, is it a combination of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I cannot take any credit for any of this work. It's all the team, our agency partners, Madwell, and many, many people who worked on, you know, these these creative ideas and campaigns. Um, my, you know, kind of approach when it comes to these types of creative partnerships or influencers, you know, anybody who is a creator, right, like that you're working with, um, I, I have to credit back to kind of what I learned at YouTube, which is ultimately, you know, you as a brand who hopes to like partner with someone who is living in this world, like you can't dictate to them like, what to do, how to do, right? Like, because ultimately your desire to partner with folks like that is because they do it better than you do. Um, And so really the kinds of mandatories when it comes to the creative approach are back to the value prop, right? The ever uh, everlasting truth of the business and the product, which is like, here's who we are, here's what we sell and here are the details that we know people wanna know when they're considering a service like Visible. Um, and rest of it becoming like a total sandbox creative territory, meaning the brief has to be really clear and succinct so that whether it is, you know, folks that we partner with on Instagram or TikTok or, you know, folks like Kevin Bacon or Dan Levy, that we give them the creative territory of like, here's what we want to say. How should we say it? And you're here because our values match up from a brand and creative perspective. And so the rest is really a collaboration. And those are the places where I've seen the work really shine and ideas that, you know, if we had just sat in a room ourselves as a business to try to come up with, it wouldn't have gone as far as these types of work that are out there. Um, So that principle very much lives through in any sort of creative partnerships that we do as a marketing organization so that we can ultimately, you know, benefit from each other's strengths and really give space to all of the kinds of ideas that come come from everyone who is involved, including our creative partners. How is Visible looking at innovation? Is it 
from a storytelling perspective? Is it ad product evolution capability or a little bit of both? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I think the word innovation lives kind of throughout in a lot of places, big and small, everyday and specific moments. So, you know, when you think about the business of Visible, there is already a lot of innovation in terms of like how we're trying to do things differently, but not for innovation, for innovation's sake, but because that's what the consumers want. And so when it comes to like, so I'm going to talk about something really unusual and this is probably not the answer you were looking Mm -hmm. for, but it is important. So our our Visible phone service, like we um, on purpose held on to the discipline of having only single lines, meaning we don't have family plans. We just have single lines. And so, you know, Rahul and Minjay, like we sign up our own, own visible accounts and you get your unlimited data. I mean, it's like all of that. And we wanted to make it simple so that you actually don't have, right? Like multiple things to think about when you switch your phone services. So that's one. And then the second piece is with that phone service, um, the price point is literally for zero dollars. And that is inclusive of taxes and fees. And, you know, I, I geek out over that a lot still to this day, because I know the work that went into it, like negotiating and doing our due diligence across every single state in the United States to make sure that the $40 stays the same in the entire country for every single person. Right. So, in some ways, that is such a clear example of how do you innovate something as crazy and boring as like tax requirements and all of that, so that you as a consumer, you don't even know that we were innovating around it. But for you, it's an experience of simplicity and convenience. Um, And so things like that from a business and product standpoint and the commercial aspect of how we went to market does have a lot of those behind the scenes pieces. We you know, don't need you to know about, but hopefully it is a great experience for you. Um, And then therefore, when it comes to, right, like how we go to a market from a marketing standpoint and how we think about different channels. So like one channel that we actually recently started to experiment with actually is direct mail. (laughs) Um, And so there were a lot of um, eyebrows raised around that one, you know, as to people are like, "Um, you're an online business, like, why are you doing direct mail? Um, And our argument would be, again, back to, right, consumer insights, which is we probably get more spam in your email inbox than in your physical inbox these days. So that gives us the space and the territory to stand out. Um, And everybody's home these days for the most part. And can you actually create a really cost-effective but also outstanding creative in that experience that would combine with an offer to hook somebody in at the you know local level so that's te- that's been teaching us a lot just in terms of where we're already pulling folks from in different concentrations of markets and cities um, and at the same time it gives us a different creative canvas and a channel to think about ultimately okay how does this thing pull people into our funnel and dot com and, you know, hopefully if the asset is interesting enough and we kind of built this into the messaging, the creative on purpose, which is to say, hey, like if you don't need to change your phone service right now, like give it to someone, you know, who might need this so that it becomes ultimately something that people are like taking pictures and sharing with other people. So trying to get like so much more out of this one piece of paper 
Um, and so there's also an example of like innovative, right? Like thinking to what can be a very boring um, piece of material to be able to create new ways to bring people into visible. We've spoken about your marketing efforts and, you know, that you just spoke of the innovation of, of an actual industry itself and the business model for that. You know, I think it's mm -hmm. safe to say that, you know, visible is a, is a pioneer in the space and, you know, with that, Visible was named Best Telecom Brand in Adweek's Challenger Brand Series. So first off, I want to say congratulations to you and the team. Behind everything that you're doing, you've spoken a lot about consumer and consumer insight. I'm, I really want to try to understand and hear from your um, perspective, you know, who is the primary consumer for Visible and how are you kind of working to maintain and attract this generation of consumers and just, you know, yeah. what have you determined is kind of their number one priority and need when they're looking for a new telecom service? Yeah. So it's the, the answer is going to be kind of two parts. One is that, you know, when we go back to how we talked about like the hypothesis of biz the business model of Visible, right? Which is, can you take what we already know works well and are the benefits for consumers from a telecommunications business perspective and marry it with the best of an e-commerce business model and a direct-to-consumer brand voice. That meant we needed to understand who are the people who already prefer to, right, like interact with brands in this way and do business with brands in this way. So that general, very generally speaking, the design target of those kinds of audiences were younger people, right? Like, because we all kind of grew up in a different era. So, you know, just generally speaking from like the brand, like marketing speak, yes, it does tend to be like millennials and Gen Z and folks who did grow up with ways of doing businesses that is largely through digital experiences. Um, however, the, the fact that that is the design target doesn't mean we're also deliberately trying to write like build a wall and no, it's not for sure, older people yeah. because ultimately it's about a behavioral um, thing rather than a generational thing very specifically. So taking inspiration from a, a generation of people and for that to be the design target of our voice and our product and how we interact with them doesn't mean this shouldn't be good for anyone who is seeking really convenient experience and good quality product at a value that fits into their budget. So that's kind of how we think about it in two parts. One is like, how do you focus your efforts around a very specific core group of people who tell you, right? Like how to think about building the best possible experience in an offering. And therefore for that to be good for anyone outside of that core group, to also be compelled by. So like, for example, um, we have really vibrant communities on all of the social platforms and we often see um, people coming in with other people. And so one of the things that we hadn't really talked about so far is, is party pay, which in addition to, you know, the simplicity of a single line, um, people are asking us like, hey, I want a, um, another way to save money here. And when we first listened to that, you know, what they were telling us was like, mm, these other carriers have family plans. And so I'm able to do this and save additional dollars. Like, what is your version of that? Um, so instead of just going and saying, oh, that's what you want, we're going to replicate and, and give that to you. We took a moment to, again, listen to like, what, what is it that they're actually telling us when they say they want this thing? And it turns out 
really the the money saving behavior behind this ask was that people were um, like we talked to a ton of people who used to like date each other and they're on the family plan together, not family, um, broke up since then, do not talk to each other, but they do Venmo money to each other because it's easier for them <laughs> to stay on this plan together. Um, and just lots of like non-family dynamics going on in family plan mm-hmm. con- construct to ultimately achieve savings, which is what any smart savvy consumers would do right so instead of just plopping on therefore like what is an existing version of that we decided to create our own version of a group plan which is party pay so now if you and i have a single line plan of visible we would essentially link our accounts we can actually name our party Mm -hmm. something fun um, and we can bring in more people. And it used to be you would bring up to four people per plan and go all the way down to $25 a line. And so that became kind of a way in which, uh, you know, we listened again to people's behavior around like, well, they do get into cars with strangers right. now to save money. So why not, you know, do this? So now we have a um, couple of examples, like back to the core, core versus right adjacent target demo piece of it. Um, people who are right of the more younger generation who have been on visible, like bringing their grandmas and grandpas onto the plan to their party. And there's some really cute pictures out there in our Facebook group, as well as recently, we realized that the social behavior on the party was becoming much more active above and beyond like the desire to save money down to $25 a person. So we lifted the cap of like how many people can be a part of a party. So we now have like a party that's like 10,000 people. (laughs) Yeah. All came from Reddit. Um, We have another party called sales angels, um, super creative. So they, they all congregated around their common interest and kind of the affinity around that. So we've been having some fun with this group, like sending them a jean vest that has sales angels, like, you know, logo on the back and things like that. So these are the kinds of behaviors that we thought was possible if we hold on to the principle of listening to, to your point, like consumers to innovate and ultimately continue to improve our experience for them that we be a brand in a category that is usually filled with the noises of price and promotions and complaints about when we don't work properly for people and we've turned it into something where people actually want to talk to us and people want to recommend us to other people and people are like doing these things that you would dream as a brand to be able to right like have the kinds of relationships with which I think is just the beginning of how visible is going to continue to grow. In the last year, we have seen uh, an obvious long overdue increase in social awareness, right? And and part of Visible's mission um, is the desire to make the invisible visible by shining a light on people and communities so they feel seen, heard, and empowered. Visible has also been in the press showcasing the importance of support in campaigns around pride and mental health. Um, Can you share more about Visible's efforts and even your own to kind of reflect the times? Yeah. um, So this is very personal for me. Um, And in a lot of ways, the conversations and the activities, right, like we've seen happening, especially in the United States last um, 12 to 18 months, are things that have always been underlying issues um, for us as a country and the society, corporations and communities. So 
it was it was revealed and I think heightened in such a way through the combination of the pandemic plus the racial justice moment plus all of the these issues come you know coming together in such a way that it, you can't not confront it. So that's been I know uncomfortable and tough for a lot of folks, but you know what? Like that's the work that we gotta do, and I'm glad that we're doing it, and I'm hoping it doesn't go away. Um, and so as a business and a brand, you know, one of the things that we um, wanted to do from the very beginning, even before we had a paying customer, was to try to anchor our business operations and model that reflects the values, the positive impact that we wanted to leave in the world. So um, before I even speak to like the pride and mental health campaigns, like I can tell you, we have a um, nonprofit accelerator program called Visible Connect, which is in its year three. So that was a way for us to support um, folks who are trying to solve some sort of a issue in their communities and support folks in their communities through mobile technology solutions. So it can be an app or it could be um, a calling in service. And our job there was to provide them with our service and some, right, like um, monetary support, but most importantly, like 75% of our employee base volunteer time to be a an expert or a mentor for these entrepreneurs so that we can help solve, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. And we've learned a lot from them too, because they're essentially small business owners who are trying to, um, you know, um, address any number of issues from like domestic violence issues to food shortage in urban areas. So we as a new business learned a lot from them as to how do we run businesses in such a way that is responsible. So with that kind of the beginnings of our DNA, you know, from a marketing standpoint, one of the things that we wanted to make sure we do is yes, like there are certain moments like pride where it makes sense for us to rally around and make bigger noise and support the voices and the messages that are out there. And it's important that we partner with these organizations and individuals who do this work every single day when nobody is looking outside of those bigger moments as well. Um, so I think the Mental Health um, Awareness Month campaign is a really great example of how we've been able to find partners, but messaging that is first and foremost prioritizing the work that they have been doing all year long and particularly relevant for that month. Um, and be able to tie that back to our brand values in a way that was seamless and natural. And we're not like trying to sell you a phone service, you know, during like mental health check-in moments, um, but continuing to use the moments, right? Like to add values and the personality and who we are as a brand, because that is incredibly important that you do that every single day. Um, so the mental health campaign was really around this notion of simple check-in, um, because again, like we've all just been through a lot. And with that one of, right, like the other, other conversations that have been coming up more and more is the acknowledgement around that mental health ish issues and the stigma around it versus shedding it, how this impacts different communities differently, children, people of color, women, and 
a lot of the different different flavors and versions of it. So to be able to then support those conversations that were already happening and increasing and be able to partner with folks like Laverne Cox and Pizzi Phillips and Pink Manta Ray, like a lot of folks who, again, like champion, right? Like the, the importance of showing and speaking to the differences and some of the things that people don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable and outside of perhaps their norms and boundaries um, is what we wanted to do um, and partnering with the Mental Health Coalition to support also more of a scaled opportunity to get people to talk about this more and really um, create a structure around which we are accepting not only is this okay and normal, but it's actually more important that we acknowledge and as get fast as possible move to the place of like action um, for, for each other. So I'm hoping that, you know, those types of everyday work and being able to partner with folks um, who have the expertise and credibility and hard work that they've been putting into on this every single day, that we earn the right to be a brand that can um, continue to support, right? Like the the equity and the inclusion and representation and and hopefully live up to our name (laughs) that is visible. We like to end our conversations with a prediction on the future of television. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question. Uh, you know, should we expect to see more of these extremely thoughtful and relatable campaigns coming to our living room screen in the near future? And what is that living room uh, or the consumer experience, um, so to speak, look like in five years' time? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's really funny is that I think television – as a word has come to mean so many different things <laughs> over time, especially from a consumer perspective, right? Because when television, the technology and a product was invented, it was like literally a box that was really big and had a screen on it. And you like turn the knob to now we're saying television that is a much thinner version of it, but also what's on it and how do people experience it? So when it comes to, I think, TV as a, as a shared experience, um, I think that's never going to go away, like in some shape or form. Whether people experience that together all at the same time versus over time, that's always going to, I think, shift in how ultimately folks who make the content and decide to iterate and experiment with the distribution strategy Um, But ultimately, what we're watching is not only the one-to-one experience of like, oh, that show makes me laugh or I feel seen and, you know, a lot of those like something that makes you feel something around it, as well as your ability to therefore share your experience of it with other people. Um, So from from that aspect of it, I do hope that... Um, we as brands continue to open up our aperture as to like how we show up there above and beyond the like 15, 30 and 60 and like how it's bought. Um, As far as the technology and the product of television, um, something I'm still waiting to, you know, continue to learn and unlock the power of is 
the living room experience um, because like having worked on some of those technologies back at YouTube with like YouTube TV and so forth, or just watching your YouTube experience in the living room. Um, it's, this is why I think this is a complicated conversation of like how people think about using like the TV, the product versus TV, the content is so different from, I think how advertisers want to think about TV, the the experience and be able to buy against it. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping therefore the second part of it, right. The technology, the connected TV, the living room experience of it, I, as an individual, want to continue to learn more about how that evolves. And from a consumer perspective, therefore, like first and foremost, how do I tie that technology back to what you're experiencing through that product for me to be able to continue to earn the right to talk to you? Minjay, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I want to thank you once again for joining us here on Spotless. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure.